What is CBP Connects like? Well, it's kind of like going on the coolest beer trip ever, just with 250 of your closest friends. Visit an amazing beer city, network, and connect with other professionals, gain a new understanding of industry topics, and more at CBP Connects in Charleston, South Carolina, this December 4th through 6th. Discover more and register at cbpconnects.com. CBP Connects, for when you want to bond, learn, and grow all in the same place. Greetings, craft beer professionals. How's everybody doing? Happy virtual fall conference. Uh, my name is Jeremy Cowan. I'm from Schmaltz Brewing, and um, I'll give folks a couple of seconds to uh, to get situated, get myself situated. Um, I'm in Troy, New York, in upstate, just uh, about three hours north of New York City, um, about 15 minutes north of where, um, I mean, 15 minutes south of Clifton Park, where we built a 40,000 square foot warehouse. And um, uh, and about, I don't know, 3,000 miles from San Francisco, where I started Schmaltz Brewing in 1996 as an experiment for, for Hanukkah with 100 cases of contract brewed, uh, hand-labeled, hand-bottled beers distributed in my grandmother's Volvo at the time. So some of you may have heard that story. So we're going to go through a bunch of things about contract brewing today. You had an awesome intro in our earlier session here. Um, with the guys talking about future proofing and really got some incredible uh, information. So I would definitely encourage you go back and check out that. Um, and these will be great kind of bookends to uh, the conversation. Um, and I'm excited to share this stuff with you. So um, it's been a minute or so. Let's let's kind of jump into it. Um, we're going to go over kind of the 101 slash 201s of contract brewing. Um, normally, I would love this to be interactive. It's a little tricky, uh, but I think we could probably do a little. If folks want to put into the comments um, a couple of bits of information, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear if people are the brewery contracting for other people or the brand owners contracting with other breweries, or if you're a potential entrant into one side or the other. So feel free to put those into comments. Um, if you want to add scale, uh, if you want to add your local, regional, national, if you want to add um, that you've been doing it for a while or, or you're brand new to this, please let me know and I'll try to customize some of the content as we go. Um, but I think for the moment, I want to jump into uh, the presentation and then we'll try to loop back on questions as much as possible. So I know I've got a couple of friends joining who have some really wonderful experience in the uh, in this area, and I've been doing it for more or less 27 years. So uh, so we'll have a we'll have a good time talking about this stuff. Um, I'm going to take some notes. If you see me looking down, don't take it personally, and um, we'll make sure that we kind of go through uh, a lot of different topics about contract brewing today. So look, I'm excited to be here with you. Um, congratulations again to Andrew and Craft Beer Professionals for pulling this off. What an incredible resource, and um, uh, I'm excited to to get into it. So let's let's rock and roll. Um, slide two, agenda. <clears throat> so what are we going to go over today? I've got some definitions about what contract brewing is. 
um, some reasons for why we do it uh, on both sides, a little bit about the business models that are available, the how, um, and we'll talk about that from, from both the producer and the brand owner. Uh, I've got a list of considerations, I think, that have come up over the years um, with our business, and I'm excited to kind of share some of those with you and probably put out some challenges and also probably put out a fair amount of empathy for the people who have been in this uh, in this contract brewing business for a while. So uh, some stuff to consider about the company and the culture. And if we have time, um, and if there's some questions, I really love to wrap things up with kind of how do you build the business? Because um, you can Google contract brewing and um, there are lots of options. Um, and we'll talk about uh, the industry a little bit more through the presentation, but um, how do you actually go about building a contract brewing business? Um, it tends to be a lot more tricky than we expect. We kind of just expect we put out a shingle. We're contract brewers. There's demand for contract brewed beer. And next thing you know, we're making more beer for really awesome people. And we're super proud of it. It's making money. It's filling tanks. But in reality, I think a lot of us know how hard it is and what the challenges are. And so I'm going to go through a little bit of what the things um, that we did. Uh, and that I did to try to grow the contract brewing side of the business. So um, that's our agenda for today. Um, let's let's dip in. So definitions, um, contract brewing. <laughs> so which side are you on? Are you the contract brewer uh, because you're brewing beer for other people, or are you the contract brewer because you're having somebody else brew beer for you? Uh, I generally, in these conversations, try to say producer and brand owner because um, as you saw in, in the previous presentation you know there are breweries who don't own their own brands that contract brew as a business model and then there are breweries that do own their own proprietary brands that contract brew and in, uh, sometimes just in the vocabulary and the conversation it can get a little tricky but in this situation i kind of lean towards producer and brand owner and we're going to try to always talk about both sides of that um, relationship and bring up elements that are going to apply to both sides as we go through this. So other things that people might call contract brewing, um, you've probably heard of these, uh, co-packing, very common term, tends to be more in kind of general beverage world, but co-packing exists. Sometimes co-packing can be um, a spot that just packages the beer at the very end, doesn't brew the beer. Um, that's a little more relevant, but I like uh, contract brewing. I think it's a little bit more of an umbrella. Alternating proprietor, alternating premise is really important. It's a little bit more of a legal ease, um, depending on which uh, era you're from. Alternating proprietor is the relationship that you have with the facility that you're working with. And alternating premise is obviously your relationship with the, with the actual brewery, the facility. So one is more of kind of a contractual relationship that then leads directly into your um, TTB and your state liquor authority licenses or ABC licenses. And um, um, so those are important kind of terms of art to know. Uh, tenant brewer, gypsy brewer. I really liked Chris has a um, uh, one called the nomad brewer, which I personally love for schmaltz brewing. Um, so all of those terms are relevant. Again, producer on one side, brand owner on the other. Depends if you might be both, you might be one, um, or you might be trying to get into others. So reasons for um, contract brewing. And so this comes up a lot. All right, so a little bit of history for me. Um, I was 26, living in San Francisco. I had never had a really 
uh, a real job in the brewing industry. I was not a home brewer. My family had not been in business. I didn't know. Um, I mean, people have heard me talk over the years now. I didn't even know that there was a three-tiered system, and I certainly didn't know what it was. Uh, I also didn't know what an invoice was. Um, just as uh, an aside, I was an English major, and I started a literary magazine after college, and I just thought it would be fun and funny and tasty to have a beer called Hebrew, the chosen beer. And it was, um, but I certainly wasn't going to be able to build a brewery and design recipes and install tanks and do all the things necessary to, to, uh, to be a brewing facility in, uh, when I was 26. So I had seen the model. And over the years, this model, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, has changed so much. Um, but the basic idea that you have an idea and you maybe have a brand and you want to get it made um, in the world. And there are breweries that do this every day and they might have a little extra capacity and you can go to them and say, hey, I have this idea. Could I brew some beer with you guys? I went to the brewery. Um, it's called Brewmakers in Northern California. It was like in between the PetSmart and the In-N-Out Burger. And um, <clears throat> I said, can I get 30 cases of beer? for Hanukkah of 1996. And he looked at me and he said, no, I can make you a hundred cases. So we brewed a hundred cases um, and 22 ounce bottles, hand labeled, uh, hand bottled. And, uh, um, and that was how it started. I moved from that little tiny operation to Anderson Valley Brewing Company um, in Northern California and was with them for many years and then moved to Mendocino Brewing Company on their East Coast facility in upstate New York, where I am now in Saratoga Springs, was there for 10 years. Um, and that was kind of our major national expansion. We brewed uh, all the Schmaltz beers, uh, the Coney Island beers, and we distributed in about 35 states around the country um, and uh, uh, did that for quite some time. And then we built our own brewery in Clifton Park in upstate New York, just here. And it was 40,000 square foot warehouse. Um, we grew that from about 5,000 barrels of production the first year um, to about 32 or 33,000 barrels uh, just four or five years later. And the bulk of that was contract brewing for friends and folks and contracts that I had come up with. So I've been on both sides of this. Um, when I sold the brewery in Clifton Park um, to some good friends from Queens at Single Cut, uh, Single Cut uh, ended up um, taking over the brewery in Clifton Park. I moved my production to my friend at Captain Lawrence in um, the Hudson Valley. And so we've been contract brewing, actually owned two fermenters there. And we've been contract brewing under an alternating proprietor license for many years now. So that kind of is the arc of what I've been doing in craft and uh, contract brewing um, along the way. Also in the last few years, I've been doing a lot of consulting, working with some smaller and uh, some regional breweries on their ideas on how to grow their business and contract brewing has been a big part of that uh, conversation. So we'll go through the basic reasons um, with that as a background. Obviously, uh, financing is huge. If you don't have the money and you don't have the access, if you're a brand owner, um, contract brewing can be a way that you can just basically pay what you can by cashing up at the beginning. Um, and that'll save you an enormous amount of investment. It will cost you uh, on marginal costs. And that's something we're going to talk about here um, in a couple of slides. But imagine I started this entire project 27 years ago with $2,000. Um, for my savings account, I got uh, uh, um, 100 cases of beer made and um, a few thousand labels printed. And that allowed me to start participating in this community. And, and it has been, <laughs> it's been a wild ride ever since. So 
Um, that's a huge consideration on the brand ownership side. Um, on the um, on the brewery side, it's more about kind of uh, fixed costs versus variable costs. That's how I put it up here. So you have a lot of fixed costs. You've got rent, you've got tanks, you've got mortgage, you've got um, utilities in the ground, and you want to maximize the um, the use of those. They call it sweating the assets, and you want to do as much as you possibly can to fill that capacity. And so um, we were able to go from about 25 to 30% use of capacity to, we were actually just a little, we were basically at 100% use of capacity by the end of Clifton Park days. Um, and so contract brewing can really help with that. And that means you've already got a tank. It's already got square footage allocated to it. Now you can fill that tank over and over and over again instead of leaving that empty. That'll help with cash flow if you do it right. We will check. We will touch base on that. But um, very, very important for any facility to try to uh, optimize its capacity as much as possible. So one thing that I did want to talk about, we're going to get to it um, in the consideration section, is uh, for valuations. So valuations are going to be relevant for both sides. When you're trying to figure out what, the, what, your, what your company or your brand is worth, if your contract brewing for other people, the valuation of that production may be significantly different than the value of your own production for your own brands. Um, but now that there are so many contract-focused breweries, luckily there are a lot of amazing comps and, and there's a market for that valuation that's very different than it was, say, 10 or 20 years ago before before all this data existed. Um, so the other thing is that the synergies, which I know we could kind of make fun of, and I was just talking to Andrew and I, I'm doing a, a business class um, at NYU and synergy comes up and that used to be kind of a, a word that we would make fun of, but I, I'll just put it in here for the moment because in the scheme of things, imagine, you know, do you need a full-time logistics person if the brewery you're working with already has a logistics person? And is that brewery's logistics person completely flat out full or do they have a little bit of slack? And if you had a contract, maybe that person gets more optimized. Um, things like ordering and trucking and uh, I mean, so many different storage. Um, a lot of issues can overlap where essentially you could just call it shared cost savings. And that is a big reason for contract brewing on both sides. So those are the kind of quick intros of, of where we're at. And let's dig in a little bit deeper. So models um, on how this works and the, the model, um, the questions here are going to drive the business model. And you heard from the previous seminar, some different ways of doing things. And we'll talk about the, what I think are the three primary models. But the, the very first question is just who, who's going to do what? Who's providing what? So who's doing the recipes? Who's providing the materials? Who's ordering packaging? Who's ordering, um, obviously, grain, hops, malt, uh, yeast? Um, who's managing that process is going to directly affect uh, how much it costs, but also how you're going to set this model up and what the contract's going to look like. So the who does what uh, seems kind of simple, but as you get into it, um, you know, is the brewery willing to accept uh, pallets from multiple different truckers over the course of a day? Do they have time to do it? Do they accept UPS orders at different parts of the facility? Um, is the brand owner capable of purchasing pack tax and having a hop contract? Um, do they have the financing for it? And is that going to be realistic? So depending on who has what, it's 
kind of a combination of skill and desire. Um, definitely it's ability. Whoever has what ability is going to drive how your model is going to exist. So there are other things too to consider, like the scheduling. You know, I used to get this a lot. People would say, oh, you know, contract brewing, you just pick up the phone and you get more beer. It just shows up. <laughs> And so, you know, I mean, if, if anybody read my stuff over the years, I wrote Beer Advocate or at some other places at the BA. And, you know, I, I wasn't a defender or an attacker about contract brewing. I was just doing it. and I loved it. And I was very, very grateful to the people I worked with. But there were a lot of other considerations when it came to how you do contract brewing and simple stuff like how do you schedule it? How do you communicate between the two parties? How much time does it take? Um, is it on shared Google Docs? Is it in Slack? Is it text messaging? Is it, um, you know, written purchase orders? All those things have to be considered. And if you're the brand owner and you don't have time or you don't have an administrative assistant or, or um, a, co a coworker, you may not be able to do certain things. And the beauty of it is you may be able to pay the facility you're working with to do some of those things. On the other hand, if you're the facility, and you just kind of want to do a little bit of contract brewing, but you don't have a ton of slack in the system and your head brewer is, um, and we'll talk about this a little later, isn't really prepared to take on more responsibility. You need to push that back to the, to the brand owner. And so that model will drive um, your pricing and your costs. The, the cost of those things will drive that. So who does the ordering? Who's, um, you know, who's pulling from the hop suppliers? Who's pulling from the malt suppliers? But it's also even more is packaging, anything that's custom, custom labels, um, custom mother cartons or cartons, trays, um, all that stuff. Who's managing the proofing of all of that? Because if the brewery is managing some of the packaging, but the brand owner needs to manage the proofing, sometimes you need to be really careful. Um, that can take up a lot of time and, and cause a lot of friction. Um, compliance is a huge one. So we did the compliance for the most part for our, for our customers, but that was because we had a GM who was good at compliance and, um, was capable of being fast. That's not for everybody. So the, who's going to do the, um, label approval and the, if there's price posting and, um, kind of all the federal and state uh kind of compliance necessities can get very tricky and if you do them wrong it can be very very painful so that's hugely important um, to make sure you get that straight up front um, in the beginning uh software a couple of the uh folks um uh had some good talks earlier about software i mean now you've got you know you've got beer 30 you've got ollie you've got ecos um obviously orchestrated beer You've got some pretty powerful um, tools at your disposal that we usually just kind of did on Excel files and yellow stickies. Um, but now, man, that relationship with technology is so much more efficient, but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes expertise. So who's doing that? And are you on the same platform and are you going to stay on the same platform and who's paying for it? Um, that's going to drive your cost and your pricing as well. So models, this is... This is kind of the heart of what we're talking about today. Um, I had a chance to chat um, a few months ago with uh, some of my colleagues at breweries around the country who are interested in contract brewing. And we had a great hour talk about this, some, some of these topics um, we brought up. And this was, this was by far the most important, complicated, nuanced 
um, part of it is what is the business model for the relationship? Because, okay, you want to make beer at a brewery or they want to make beer for you, but now what? Who does all the things that we talked about then has to go into a business model that turns into an invoice. So the invoice, you can kind of think of it that way. Does the invoice come for all the elements of those relationship all the way from recipe development? We, we did. We had to charge people to develop recipes if they didn't know how to do it or if they did know how to do it and it had to adjust to our model, I mean, to our brewery, um, uh, to our brewing system then it took time and my head brewer needed to be pulled apart, pulled aside for that. And we needed to be compensated for that. So from all the way at the beginning, um, even cost of the relationship in the first place, generating the quotes, generating the contracts. I mean, depending on if you're the brand owner um, and you've got a lot of expertise and you can make it really easy for the customer or you're brand new and you don't have any experience, you're not sure what you're doing, but you have an idea. Um, those are very different efforts for the brewery to put forth. So they are may they may charge you uh, even to get kind of a, you know, a relationship going and to get the initial contract done. So the the models specifically, on the one hand, I look at it as this end of the spectrum. It's everything is a la carte and it's the cost of the brewery plus a margin that they put on. So they may say, um, we're going to order everything for you, but we're going to charge you plus an upcharge for your grain, for your hops, for your yeast, um, for any brewing adjuncts. Um, they may charge you for brewing, and then they may charge you for a different charge at the cellar, and then they may charge a different charge at packaging. So depends a little bit on how your brewer does their own um, accrual-based accounting. And that is a huge question that we could spend hours on because we certainly did it at, uh, at Schmaltz. But depending on how they do it, they may want to charge you. And if you're the brewer, you may want to charge your customers at different stages because that'll tie into your own accounting system and it will be seamless. On the other hand, let's say like the other end of the spectrum, just want 100 cases of beer. I want a hundred kegs. I, I don't need to know how much it costs to go from the brew house um, through the whirlpool and the heat exchanger into the cellar and you, you know, yada, yada, yada. I just need a case of beer. Does it cost me, you know, 18 bucks, 25 bucks or 35 bucks? I need a keg of beer. Does it cost me, uh, let's say 95, but you know, let's say 85 bucks, 105 bucks, 125 bucks. So that's the finished goods model. And the finished goods model is really attractive to, I think, small to medium-sized breweries um, because they're not experts at, at all of the efficiencies. They're not experts at all the elements that go into brewing. Even a 800-barrel brewery, if they want to brew for somebody else, they're going to be a lot more experienced than the brand owner. And they may um, know their costs at each stage, but more likely is, if, especially if they're using some of the software programs, they may know what their finished goods costs are. So that can allow them to kind of ballpark or, or give some even very specific data on pricing that would be a better model. The cost plus model, 
for a bigger sophisticated brewery that really knows what it's doing and a bigger sophisticated client that really knows what it's doing, yeah, the two of them may be able to really get efficient in certain elements of the relationship. And that may be a better model for them. Um, you know, a, a big sophisticated brewery might say, well, we get really great pricing on our um, uh, certain types of specialty bag malt that we can put in super sacks and we're going to get it shipped directly from the UK to you guys. We're brewing in San Diego. You're brewing in New York. Um, we're going to save a bunch of money. I don't want you to just charge me a 30% upcharge on finished goods. I want to provide this product. Then it's up to the facility to say, well, you know, it's going to cost us money to receive it. It's going to cost us money to process it. It's not exactly our existing system. So at a more sophisticated level, I think the efficiencies make it worth the conversation. Um, the more kind of finished goods model is, I think, I mean, that's what we did with when we were the brand, when I was a brand owner contracting with others, we do the finished goods model um, for many, many years up to, I mean, we did that up to 130, 140,000 cases. So um, in the finished goods model, though, I want to talk just a little bit. There will be elements that usually come up, um, specialty hops, some exotic, especially these days, exotic hops that you're using. The brewery may say, listen, we'll give you finished goods, but you got to pay for those hops. Um, yeast, that's a big one. We had a couple of um, breweries that wanted to do a lot of complicated, uh, innovative techniques with yeast. And we just had to charge them specialty, um, specialty pro special processes uh, costs to make sure, because I, I can't just give them the same finished keg cost as something that doesn't have three rounds of um, yeast management and doesn't take up much time. You know, you do Chico on the one side and then you do some really cool, interesting, complicated um, processes with yeast, but you want to build that into the cost and into, into the model. The other one, a big one for that is labels on 16 ounce cans. You know, if the brewery is running 150,000 labels, they're getting a very different price than when I come to them and say, oh, I've got the coolest new product and I've got 2,500 labels that I need. You know, can you just buy those? And they're like, yeah, but you're you going to have to pay for the 200, you know, the 2,500 labels. You're not going to get the price of 250,000 or 150,000. So there is a hybrid in between um, usually that's stuff like custom labels custom hops custom yeast i've seen it for a little bit of like some custom packaging cans or bottle caps or something like that but for the most part if it's the kind of stuff the brewery is doing um you know grain hops yeast water um, adjuncts and they can give you a pretty good idea of what those costs are if they have a good idea of what those costs are and they can give you an idea the finished goods model, I think, is easier for everybody involved. Um, it's certainly easier for the accounting department. And depending on how you're managing your software, just really like paralleling it is probably the best move for a while. Um, Chris uh, at uh, Small Batch did some amazing work on common margins. And um, there was a little bit of a discussion earlier. There's a lot of discussion of it online. So this comes up a lot. Um, common margins so for the cost plus model which really is you know margin not um, not markup um i would say somewhere between five to 25 or 35 percent depending on the on the thing if it's just receiving a pallet of super sacks um you know you're not going to charge the person 30 percent 
if you don't have to put up the money and they've provided the logistics and you have a little slack in your system, but you think you can handle it, I would say, you know, five to 10% upcharge for just literally shipping and handling is totally reasonable. Um, if you've got a process and your guys are opening everything and you're moving things around and you're customizing it and bags aren't going in, you know, in full, um, full amounts. And if uh, packaging has to be moved around and changed and switched and lines have to be switched over, the cost plus model is going to go a lot more expensive. So just because somebody gives you a, a cool and funky new box for your six packs, 12 packs or 15 packs, but if, you're, if your line doesn't um, fulfill those automatically and everything is a hand touch, then you got to charge up for that. Um, the charge, I'd say for current common margins on the finished goods model, um, somewhere between 25 and 40%, maybe 50% on some really crazy stuff, um, depending on how much how much it takes. A little bit of that's going to come into, though, how much are they going to charge? And that's a whole different conversation uh, and trying to understand that from a brand owner perspective, how much they're going to charge so that you can have that conversation and say, is there margin for us to do extra work for you on the things we're already good at? Or are you trying to squeeze down your pricing because you're looking for volume? Um, so those are two very, very different sides. And so common margins will reflect that. If it's a high volume draft only um, light pale ale with not a huge amount of work into it. Okay. So maybe the margins, you know, potentially on the brewery side, it could be 15%, could be 20%. Um, the way I like to look at it and the way I talk to people about it is, Imagine this brewery is already selling its own beer for the most part. So whatever they're selling it for, they have sales, marketing, distribution costs, you know, and then all their fixed costs and, and marginal costs. Um, you're going to have to either match or I used to usually go about 10 or 15% above the price of my contract brewery. So when you're doing that as the brand owner, you got to realize they're not going to deduct 50% from their regular price to their wholesalers. So it's another way if you're a small brewery, um, if you don't exactly know what it costs to make your own beer, let's say you're not sure if you're really looping in all of your costs, the garbage, the insurance, your disability, um, the electric for certain ways in certain parts of the warehouse, what goes to the tape, tap, um, tasting room, what goes for the warehouse. You don't exactly know um, what that is. And you just want to kind of get back to what a finished goods cost is. You could work your way backwards from your wholesale price. I mean, let's just hope that you've done at least enough work so your wholesale price has a reasonable, mar a reasonable margin on it. If your wholesale price and, and you, let's say you're shipping to a different region and you're not really paying attention and your shipping costs are really making it almost break even, whatever you do, don't contract brew for somebody and give them that same price. Um, so you just have to be really careful if all you do is work backwards from your wholesale, because that would suggest that maybe, um, you know, it's complicated, but you may not know your real costs. So get get your costs straight and then and then be prepared to uh, have these conversations about contract brewing. So th those are kind of um, a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about on the contract brewing side um, and the models. The, this is so an area that's more uh, stuff to think about. <laughs> I mean, 
there's a whole universe of considerations. And I wanted to go over what I thought were kind of the top four or five. Um, if anybody has any comments or questions about the, uh, the what and the why, um, as well as the how, um, feel free to drop it in the chat and comments. And um, I'll go back over those. We've got about yeah, 10 or 15 minutes left um, to go over things. And, and it's a fair amount of info to digest in a short amount of time. Um, there's obviously a lot of things I'm, I'm balancing. Um, I wouldn't say glossing over, but it comes up over and over once you get into these relationships. Complications um, arise that you're like, wait, oh, I never would have thought of that. Um, and uh, um, they're, they're pretty consistent. And so you have to have like a really good stomach for what I call ambiguity um, in business relationships. And, uh, and you really need to build trust because stuff comes up, um, especially, you know, at it's, it's a factory, it's constantly breaking. There's constantly staff um, challenges um, and opportunities. There's constant facility issues that are going on. And then there's all the stuff that you don't even control, you know, um, gas prices, glass prices, can prices, supply chain, um, uh, the facility and the neighborhood and zoning and the landlords and all that stuff. Um, and that's not even getting into the market, wholesalers, retailers, um, you know, on-prem, off-prem. And so it always comes up. And that was one of the ways I'm going to work this backwards into considerations for cultural and practical. This you could kind of see as like, what are your risks? Um, <clears throat> I, I'm not a kind of person who thinks a ton about risk. I kind of just uh, sometimes for better or for worse go like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this thing? Like, ah, let's just do it. Let's make it happen. It'll be amazing. Um, so I also think of this as opportunities. But if you're more of a person who thinks about what could go wrong or what the risk is, these are kind of important. So let's let's go through these a little bit. Um, I broke them up into cultural, which is more about the company and, and we'll go through those and practical. And that's more about the process. But um, let's talk just a little bit about, about the cultural side. So if you are a full-on contract brewing facility, um, Sleeping Giant and, and um, kind of uh, the folks who created themselves specifically to contract brew for other people. Um, luckily, there are a slew of them now. Um, the culture uh, is very important. People need to know because brewers all, for the most part, came from somewhere where it was not a fully contract, full, full contract brewery. Um, but that level of attention to detail has to be absolutely taught and, and um, nurtured for every single beer as if it is your baby. And um, in a contract only facility, that tone is obviously set um, by the business model. For anybody else, it's more complicated. Um, even those with the best of intentions. You know, there are, there are places that have their own brands and they do contract brewing. And that list has grown considerably over the last five or 10 years. One of the reasons we built Clifton Park in the first place was because in 2010, 11, 12, um, you know, we were all up some really nice numbers and there wasn't a lot of contract brewing production. There, there wasn't capacity out there. 
um, there is a lot of really, really high quality, super talented contract capacity now. So it's more a question of if your brewery is going to start contracting for other people, um, do you have leadership and do you have support staff and, and, and the people who are really making it happen that are going to get behind it? And just making sure that that conversation happens up front and not after a contract brand is in a bright tank and there's a problem because fermentation didn't go right or one of the processes weren't followed or um, you do not want to have that conversation about culture while you're in the throes of it. So I can't emphasize enough when you're going to go into contract brewing, um, please make sure you have thought it all the way through with your staff and communicated it. And if there's pushback, you as an owner, have to absolutely take that seriously because pushback leads to potentially not doing the absolute perfect job every time. That could be pushback in anything, but in terms of contract brewing, the um, this is going to end up being part of your reputation. It's going to be part of your operation, your flow, and you have to have that buy-in from the beginning. If there's conflict, you're going to have to address it because maybe that person never works on contract beer, or if that's unrealistic, maybe that person needs to go. Um, if it's a question of compensation or perks or understanding or meetings, um, or, um, personal relationships, then those need to be addressed. And it's very crucial to get that straight from the beginning because all this other stuff, the focus, the staff attitude and the reputation, um, it leads directly to your bottom line because there is so much risk. Contract brewing is lower margin, higher volume by nature. So the definition of it and the process of it will be lower margin, higher volumes. And um, that means bigger risk if anything goes wrong. There's not cushion to just, oh, well, we didn't quite dry hop it the way we wanted to on our own special release one-off. So we'll just push it into a new tank and manage it for ourselves. And we'll send it out three days later to our wholesalers. No, that's you. somebody forgot to do a diacetyl rest on a contract brewed lager that's been there for six weeks. And you're only making 15 to 25%. And that's a huge problem. So in terms of risk mitigation, the cultural side of the consideration, I think is very, very important. We can talk more about that offline if anybody wants to. Um, the practical considerations I, I listed here, they're probably a little bit easier to, to tackle, check off the list. Um, legal, obviously, you gotta get your act together with the state and the feds and make sure you know, in New York State, the rules are very different for what's even legal to do for contract brewing. Um, the federal government has very specific rules and you just have to do them. And uh, you, you really do not want to go around anybody and just don't shoot first and ask questions later. That's an absolute terrible idea because it puts your, your license at risk. It also puts your staff in very awkward positions. So you need to be 100% buttoned up um, in terms of the compliance um financial okay so a couple of things if you're thinking about contract brewing you're going to make more beer and you're going to like that but it doesn't always just magically make you more margin you have to be very careful that you just put another 100 barrels in a tank but you didn't realize um what were the repercussions of of actually getting it out of the tank and do you have your cost structure in place where you can make sure that this is all happening for the right reasons and that actual profit flows to the bottom line just making more beer doesn't always make you more profit. Making more beer brings down your incremental, you know, kind of your marginal cost. That's true. But 
you may be doing things for contracting that added enough marginal cost and the margin you're making off producing the contract brewed beer isn't high enough. You could literally start losing money the more you contract brew that particular product. So financial considerations are super urgent um, and crucial at every stage. The operational side of that, I would say, is is hand in hand. Um, you know, do you have enough staff to do the extra eight to what might turn into a 13 or 14 hour brew shift? Um, do you have enough equipment to make sure you can actually process the volume? What are the um, the human and uh, equipment and um, financial resources that you have to be able to increase your volume if you want to do it significantly or if you want to do it incrementally and make sure that that operational side is taken very, very seriously. You don't just make more beer and make more money. Um, the timing, I'm calling the strategic vision. The timing is important. Um, the guys talked earlier that sometimes it could take up to a year to pull this thing together. So making sure that your vision for when you're going to contract brew and how long it's going to take and what it's going to be, um, I think that's super important. And people completely underestimate over and over and over again how long it's going to take. It's like, you know, they have that rule about um, when you're going to redo your kitchen, it's going to end up taking twice as long and it's going to cost twice as much. Um, I don't think that's a terrible idea for contract brewing. You think you're going to get beer in three to six months? You might. Um, or it might be six to 12 months. And is your brewery ready for um, that influx at that certain time? And you as a brand owner, are you ready to manage your wholesale retail um, uh, opportunities uh, with the timing that kind of aligns between the two organizations? So I said valuation earlier, and this was one that came up for us. Um, I think that it's important to make sure you realize if you have an idea of exiting at some point and you want to sell your company um, or your brand, you need to make sure you're looking at the right valuation. A 30,000 barrel brewery that is producing 90% proprietary beer and 10% contract beer is valued extremely differently than a brewery that's doing 30,000 barrels and producing 10% proprietary beer and 90% contract. So there are lots of data points now out there, and um, that's a real treat because not that long ago, it was kind of all over the place. But um, make sure that you look into that and understand what it's going to mean for you if you're trying to discuss evaluation. That also is relevant, though, not just for an exit. It's relevant for your SBA loans. It's relevant for any investors that you're going to be taking on or, or taking out. It's relevant for partnerships between owners. A lot of people have partners in their ownership. A lot of people have parents and best friends and potentially PE firms and VC companies. And that valuation is going to be very, very important when you think about what the contract brood element is in your business. So there, there are bigger questions about that. I'm happy to go over them kind of separately. Um, we're we're gonna get a couple of minutes. I'll give you. I just want to give you a couple of tidbits. Um, it's so much harder to build a contract brewing business than you think. It's harder to build it when you're the customer and the brand owner, and it is harder when you're the brewery and you think you're just gonna put an ad um, out. But a couple of places that you can go to to learn about this stuff. So um, pro brewer. Uh, uh, for selfish reasons, they're a client of mine. I'm an advisor with them. That's an awesome place to be able to put out um, questions on the discussion boards. 
and to be able to ask people how they've managed their contract brewing business. There's ads for contract brewers there. Brewbound um, does an amazing job. Uh, there's a lot of ads for contract brewers on there. And so you can, unlike the way I did it, which was a literally is really sad and crazy to imagine, but I opened the Yellow Pages in 1996 and looked for breweries in Northern California. Now it's incredible the resources that you'll have. Um, their uh, Brewer Magazine does a great job, all about beer. It's a little more consumer based, but man, with John and Andy in there, um, you know, just send them an email and ask them for advice. But I did want to point out one of the guys on the last. Um, call. I love the enthusiasm and I love the idea that it's just like full steam ahead. If you have an idea, go and do it. I just really hesitate to tell people just go and do it. I always say spend extra time researching. If it's a good idea today, it will be a great idea in six to 12 to 18 months when you're a lot more experienced and you have a lot more contacts and a lot more understanding of what you're doing. So, um, I think this is this is we're coming up to the end of our chat here, but a couple of tidbits. Producers, how do you build your business? Put your ads in all the right places. Be as proactive as possible. And then absolutely it is up to you for an inside person to do hand to hand combat, one on one outreach to try to find somebody that you can save money on logistics, keg costs, shipping. Um, find somebody who needs to be in your market or in your region and ask them if they need capacity. Um, and you can start with your wholesalers or other people's wholesalers in that market and uh, really try the best you can to, to make that um, a personal relationship and get it done right. So I'm going to wrap it up. Um, but thanks, you guys, for uh, hanging out. We've got lots of questions. Um, that uh, please hit me up on LinkedIn or Jeremy at Schmaltz Brewing, and uh, we should be able to um, kind of uh, interact in whatever way you need. And I got uh, an unbelievable amount of experience in a lot of the ups and downs and sideways of all this contract ring question. So really appreciate you hanging out today, and uh, please get in touch. Thanks so much again to, to Andrew and Craft Beer Professionals and to all the sponsors for this year's uh, virtual conference. This has been amazing and awesome and can't wait to be in touch more and more and see everybody uh, in, in person soon. All right. Have a great day, you guys. Take care. Thank you for listening and being an important part of our community. Please hit the subscribe button to stay on top of more sessions that can help you grow as a craft beer professional and join us for more conversations in our community on Facebook. We appreciate you. Cheers.